If you would like to open up your Bible with me to Psalm 106, we'll begin reading in verse 28 here in just a moment, the 106th Psalm, a historical psalm, but we're just going to be looking at four verses from this psalm tonight. Psalm 106, starting in verse 28 here in just a moment. There are some combinations that just seem super odd to put them together. Uh, and I saw this movie poster a, a few years ago, and uh, before I put it on the screen, the normal caveats apply. I've not seen this movie. I'm not endorsing this movie. It's just an illustration. But I saw this movie poster for Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That was a good movie. Well, there's somebody endorsing it. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know, I just have a hard time putting those two things together, imagining the long, gangly, statesman, honest Abe wielding an axe to fight the undead just doesn't seem to compute in my mind, in my thinking, that just doesn't seem to go together. And I think there are a number of things in the Bible that are that way as well, and, and a lot of times when that's the case, we should perk up saying there must be something to this. Take, for example, our image of what a priest is or was under the law of Moses. Maybe we have an image something like this, and that would be accurate. That's the high priest. That would be the garb that he would wear. And the high priest, and all priests for that matter, along with the Levites who served in the tabernacle and later the temple, they would have been the upper crust of society, maybe a little soft compared to everybody else, uh, as I've been accused of having. They probably have preacher hands, you know, no calluses, uh, because they're just serving in the temple. They were very wealthy, generally. They're not out with the sheep and the goats and all those sorts of things. And certainly when we think about going into battle, the priests are people who stayed back while everybody else fought, right? Well, not always. In fact, we have examples of priests being right in the hot middle of the battle at various points in the Old Testament. Um, from our reading here not just too long ago, we remember Samuel, and the girls were kind of aghast at this, uh, that he hacked a king to pieces who was captured by the Israelites. But what about looking at a man like this, a priest who is leading the people into battle, leading the people against God's enemies? Well, that's odd, isn't it, in our way of thinking? But that's exactly who Phineas, the warrior priest, was. An odd combination, no doubt, but a man of God who did the will of God and accomplished God's purposes. And so tonight I want to look at this man, a character study of, of this man Phineas. And we'll begin in Psalm 106 here in just a moment. Um, but I want to take just a second to welcome everyone. We're glad that you're here. We still have a number of visitors, and we're grateful for your presence. And I hope our look at this Old Testament character can be helpful to us in shaping our character to be who God has called us to be. When we think about Phineas, there were a number of things that were true of him. Phineas was a man, first of all, who stood in the gap. I, I love that terminology. I love that concept uh, that phrase is taken from Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, where God is describing how he took his people into captivity. And the reason for that, um, verse 30 of Ezekiel 22, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. 
God has always been searching for men and women who are willing to stand in the gap, willing to step up into those positions and roles of of leadership and service that are necessary uh, in His kingdom and among His people. And it's interesting that he says God was searching for not men in Ezekiel 22, but but a man, singular. And, And of course, that doesn't mean that God wouldn't be happy if he finds more than one person to accomplish his purpose But it tells us the influence that one person can have can be so very strong on everybody else. When we think about peer pressure, we usually think about it in a negative way. And really, this is an aside maybe to the lesson. But speaking directly to the young people for just a moment, don't underestimate the power that you can have by choosing to stand up and stand alone. And and so often we think that we're going to have to stand alone when the crowd is going after the wrong things in the wrong way. But you will be amazed how many times in your life, if you are the one who's willing to stand in the gap and say, I'm not going to do this, this is wrong, this is not what God wants of me, you'll be amazed how many people wanted to do that. And they're just waiting on somebody to follow. And that's exactly what we see with Phineas as well. If you're there in Psalm 106... The psalmist is going through these high and low points in the history of Israel to to make points about what the people of those days should have been. And in verse 28, he recalls the time uh, when they're in the wilderness. And in verse 28 it says, They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor, this is from Numbers 25, and ate sacrifices made to the dead. And so they're worshiping the gods of the nations of Canaan, and they're also committing immorality with the women from these nations. Thus they provoked him, God, to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. God sends his judgment. Just like in Ezekiel, he's sending the judgment of captivity. Here he's sending a judgment of plague. And I would suggest that God is looking for a man to stand in the gap, but this time he found someone. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Now this is a great summary of what happened in Numbers chapter 25. The actual account is much more graphic and vivid. Uh, Maybe a similar rating to Abraham Lincoln um, Vampire Hunter, I'm not sure. But we think about Phineas at this time, he was a very young man. He was among those who would have been less than 20 years old because we see him who he was able to go into the land of Canaan uh, despite God's decree that all of those of the the older generation would not enter the land. They had let wickedness into the camp and it had spread among the people. It began with them committing harlotry with the women of Moab And then they offered sacrifices to the gods of these women until they had completely joined themselves, the text says in verse 28, with Baal of Peor. And it got so bad that an Israelite was committing harlotry with a Midianite woman, and he was thumbing his nose at Moses and the entire congregation by parading her before them before going into the tent. He wasn't hiding it, he showed them. And by worldly standards, I guess this would be a real man but not by God's standards. Phineas put a stop to it with righteous indignation. He wasn't going to be influenced by that garbage, and he wasn't going to stand by while his people, the people of God, were committing this great atrocity. 
Uh, Turn to Numbers chapter 25, and we're going to read just a portion of the expanded text. Again, Psalm 106 gave us a great summary, but let's turn and read specifically uh, starting in verse 9. Now the plague has been stopped by Phineas at this point, and so this is kind of the postscript to the account. And as we read, I want you to ask yourself, when God says, I sought a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap, against whom is he asking someone to stand against? Against whom is he asking someone to stand, right? Into the gap against whom? Who is the one who is attacking is another way of putting it. Um, Well, let's read beginning in verse 9. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. It was not an invading army. It was the plague. It was God and His work. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, so he would have been Aaron's grandson, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them. What a compliment. You have not just zeal, you have the same zeal as God for righteousness and truth and justice and mercy. Because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. It is God who is attacking on this occasion. And God was coming through the gap in His wrath and judgment. But God would rather the gap be filled. And that's exactly what Phineas did. Verse 12, Therefore say, Behold, I give to him, to Phinehas, my covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Um, He atoned for their sins in his zealousy by standing in the gap against God. God desires to be long-suffering. He would rather give more time for people to come to repentance. He would rather someone turn him back in his wrath. And my question is, are we giving God a reason to wait? No one knows the day or the hour when God will come again, when Christ will come in judgment. We know that it will come as a thief in the night, um, that the trumpet will sound, and then in that moment we'll know that the Lord is coming. Everyone, everyone who is living at that time But when that happens, we don't know. But am I living my life in such a way that it's delaying God's coming? Oh, we we say, and rightfully so, come Lord Jesus. I'm ready for Him to come. But I look in my life and I see those whom I love, um, maybe some who are my enemies as well, but I see lots of people who aren't ready for that coming. Am I working in such a way that it's delaying God's coming so that I can work? If all that stood between mankind and the final judgment were my efforts, would God wait? Would I be in the gap? Would God look at me or look at you and say, I want to give him or her, I want to give them more time to work because I know they can accomplish great things for me. There is work to be done, brethren. Build up the wall of morality and truth. Stand in the gap before God to withhold His wrath. And may it not be said in our time what was said in the days of the destruction of Jerusalem. God sought for a man to stand in the gap before Him on behalf of the land that He should not destroy it. 
but he found no one. Phineas was a man who stood in the gap, but he was also a man who was trusted. He was trusted by many people, as we read through the text, but specifically he was trusted by Moses. Turn forward a few chapters to Numbers chapter 31, if you would. Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. Let's begin reading in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward you shall be gathered to your people. So this is one of the last things that Moses is going to do um, before the children of Israel are going to enter the promised land, but Moses is going to die before he enters into that land. And if you knew that this was kind of your last big act before your death, wouldn't you want to make sure that it was handled correctly? Wouldn't you want to make sure that you fulfilled God's will in exactly the way God wanted you to do it? Of course you would. And so Moses spoke to the people, saying, verse 3, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go after the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. So there were recruited from the divisions of Israel one thousand from each tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. Then Moses sent them to war, one thousand from each tribe, and he sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males, and ultimately won the battle and had the spoils that went with it. So when Moses is looking to entrust someone to lead the army into battle, he entrusts it to Phinehas. He trusts him to do what it is he would do in the same situation, to do what God would have him to do. And maybe it's appropriate for us to think about ourselves in those same terms. Now, we don't have Moses, right? But we do have leaders, and we're supposed to be living our lives in this congregation in such a way that it doesn't bring stress and de-stress on them. Instead, it allows them to serve with joy. And so maybe we should ask ourselves, Would I be someone that the elders, our shepherds, trusted to be sent and to accomplish God's will on their behalf? If they needed someone to go and talk with someone or visit someone, would I be on their list as someone they trusted to do that? If they asked me to go with them to accomplish some task, would I be willing and able to do that? I pray that we would. But not just by our leaders, of course, in all areas of our life. Are we someone who can be trusted? Young people, are you someone your parents can trust? Can trust not to just do their will, but to do the will of God, to do what's right, whether they tell you to do that or not. Employees, are you someone that your bosses can trust? Someone that they can trust to do the right thing, to work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men? Bosses, are you someone that your employees can trust? As you have power over them to a certain degree, do they trust you that you're going to treat them fairly and and justly and in the right way? That you're going to show mercy when mercy should be shown? Um, Stephanie um, has been doing a lot of research about leadership and and various types of leadership. And and one thing that's come up over and over in her research, as she shared it with me at different points, One of the main barriers to fruitful communication in any relationship, but especially we think about work relationships, is trust. 
If there's no trust, there can be no good communication. And without that communication, those relationships are going to deteriorate. Obviously, that's true in the workplace. But isn't it also true in our marriages? Isn't it also true between parents and children? Isn't it also surely true in the church? We must trust one another and have that trust for one another if we're going to accomplish what God calls us to accomplish. Trust allows us to work together side by side, knowing my brother or sister is going to be there for me if I need them. But most of all, are we people that God can trust? In 1 Chronicles 9 and verse 20, Phineas is described as someone, the Lord was with him, is what it is said of him. We talked about that some in Bible class this morning. And again, that's a question we should ask of ourselves. When someone else is describing me and summarizing my life, am I going to be someone that it is said of me, the Lord was with him? Is God with me? Can he trust me to do his will and fulfill his purposes? We know God is faithful, that he can be trusted in all things to fulfill his promises. Well, if you've come to God in humble submission, if you've come to God and been baptized into Christ, you've entered into a covenant. That means not just that God has made promises to you, you've made promises to God. Just like a husband and wife who come into a covenant relationship with one another, that's the kind of relationship we have with God. Can God trust you to fulfill the promises that you've made to Him? Can He trust you to fulfill all? Well, Phineas was a man who was trusted. Phineas was also a man who was willing to listen. Uh, if you want to turn over to Joshua chapter 22, that's our next text that we'll examine. Joshua chapter 22. The saying goes that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And we've seen Phineas as a younger man, a very young man. We've seen him as maybe an early middle-aged man. Uh, now we see him later in middle-aged, maybe going on toward uh, older at this point in the text. And although the saying goes you can't teach an old dog new tricks, I would suggest that you can uh, if they have a good and honest heart. And what we see with Phineas is that he was a, a man who was willing to listen. Despite everything that he had been through, despite everything that he had experienced, he was willing to listen to people, to hear what it was that they had to say. Uh, in Joshua chapter 22, what we find is that we remember that the tribes were divided up on the eastern and western sides of the Jordan River. On the east side, there were two and a half tribes, and the rest of the tribes were on the west side of the Jordan River. And obviously they had this physical barrier between them, um, the Jordan and the Jordan Valley. And, and so the tribes that were over on the east side, they decided in order to remind the tribes on the west that they were all the same people, they decided to set up this altar. And it wasn't an altar that they were going to use and worship to the Lord. That would have been wrong under the law of Moses. It was just an altar as a reminder. We're the same people serving the same God. It was a memorial, if you want to put it in those ways. Uh, and it, the altar was called witness. It was a witness that they were all brethren. Well, the, the tribes who were on the western side, they got wind of this, and they heard that this was going on. And so they, they get in battle array, and they go over to the eastern side of the Jordan River to make war against their brethren, against the two and a half tribes. And let's begin reading in verse 16 of Joshua chapter 22. 
Thus the whole congregation of the thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What treachery is this that you have committed against the the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us? To what is that referring? That's Numbers chapter 25, when they joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and Phineas had to step in and kill those folks to stop the plague. And what they're saying is the same thing that was happening then, we're going after worshiping other gods or worshiping God in an unlawful way, that same thing is happening now. They say, was what happened then not enough for you that you've got to go and do this now? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there is a plague in the congregation of the Lord? But you must this day turn away from following the Lord. And so that's the accusation. But the response in verse 24 is this. But in fact we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, in time to come your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us, you and us. You children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants will make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before Him, with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it will be, when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before His tabernacle. You know what they said? We know what it looks like, but it's not. I I promise it's not. We are not setting up an altar to worship God in an unlawful way. We need to go down to the tabernacle to do that, and that's exactly what we do. This is just an altar of witness to remind us that we're brethren. Now the tribes from the western side had a choice, didn't they? They could accept this, listen to it, or they could continue in war against these people. And who was it that was leading the the tribes from the west? It was that old war horse Phineas. That same Phineas. And now he has a choice to make. So... Verse 30, now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, and the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with them, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, 
and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness. For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. You know, Phineas was just as zealous in this text as he was in the previous ones that we read. But for what was he zealous? Was he zealous for bloodshed? Was he zealous for his own acclaim? Was he zealous of getting his way? Was he zealous to make sure that he didn't lose faith? Or face, I should say. When he's going up against these other tribes and he's leading the charge and they say, no, no, it's not what you think. Or was he zealous for the Lord and zealous for truth? That zeal, though misplaced at the beginning of this passage, that zeal was willing to listen. And that's my favorite thing about this chapter, how they were willing to listen to one another. And we are all, to one extent or another, a product of our experience. And what happened in the past often affects how we think about the present. But we need to know that about ourselves and compensate accordingly when we find ourselves in that sort of situation and have the humility to listen to brethren honestly and accept truth as truth. The brethren on the east side of the Jordan had humility and patience with those who were offended to explain to them what was going on and to acknowledge their concerns. Twice they said, look, this is not for burnt offering or sacrifices. The brethren on the west side of the Jordan listened carefully and they didn't dig in their heels to their position when it was explained to them. And that is hard to do when we're ingrained in our position. When we've believed something our whole life, maybe, and somebody comes along and says something different, and we have to examine it against the Word of God, against the truth, and accept truth as truth. When we're challenged to think about things in a different way, we have to lay aside our pride and listen honestly to determine what the truth is. Because finding truth is what matters. We have to be people who are willing to listen to others. But ultimately, it comes down to being people willing to listen to God. Um, Go forward just a little bit to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 20. It seems, by Judges chapter 20, Phineas has retired from leading people into battle. He's probably a very old man by this point. But we see that this is the occasion where great sin was committed by this Levite with his concubine. And remember, he cuts up the pieces and sends it to the twelve tribes. But the tribes actually, in going to war against Benjamin, they actually go to ask the Lord what His will is on this occasion. So verse 26 of Judges chapter 20. Then all the children of Israel, that is all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them 
into your hand. They came to Phineas, and now at this point, maybe he does look more like that guy over there than this guy over here, but still he was listening to the commands of the Lord. And ultimately, as we've studied on Sunday mornings, the issue that they had is they didn't go back to the Lord and ask him again after this, but that's not on Phineas. Phineas, all his life, was one who was zealous for the Lord and willing to stand in the gap. He was one who could be trusted, and he was one who was willing to listen. And so we can add Phineas to the list with Boaz and Ruth and Naomi as people from this time of degradation in the time of Judges who are still trying to do what's right. So we've, we've traced Phineas through his whole life. But I think there's one more thing that we need to see about this man. Phineas, even after his death, was a man who was remembered for godliness. It's always an important exercise for us to go through. To think about how we will be remembered. And Phineas was one who was remembered. His name was used in the years to come. Many priests were named Phineas after him. We remember at the end of the period of Judges, one of Eli's sons, his two sons were Hophni and Phineas, named after this great man, though they were from a slightly different family. David, centuries later in the time of the kings, remembers and commemorates Phineas in Psalm 106, as we read a moment ago. And then about a millennium, a thousand years after Phineas died, one of the priests during the return from captivity was named Phineas. And even to us today in the days of Christ, 3,000 years after Phineas lived and died, he is still a man who is remembered for godliness. How will I be remembered? Will I be remembered like Phineas? Christianity has some odd combinations as well. We're supposed to be people of great confidence that we can stand before the Lord with boldness. But at the same time, we're supposed to be self-reflective and great humility, knowing our sin, knowing that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are people, Harold's favorite word, who are supposed to be meek, right? We have great strength, great power. But that power is under control. It never burns out of control. We are people whose focus should be on today and what seemingly is just the opposite, eternity. Today and eternity. And those combinations may be seem odd to the world and many other combinations of who we are. But ultimately, ultimately it comes down to us being who God has called us to be. And if that makes us odd, if it makes us a warrior priest or anything like it, well, it's only odd in the eyes of men. In the eyes of God, it makes us like Phineas. And ultimately, may we be remembered, not just by people, but by God, when we stand before Him in judgment, and He says, you are one of mine. I know you. And you've been faithful to me. So if you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, we hope we've given you an example of what godliness looks like, at least some of the qualities but we have something that Phineas didn't have in this life. We have, we have hope of the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. God's plan that was worked out through the ages has been brought to fruition, as we talked about this morning. Jesus accomplished God's work, and now He can accomplish something great in your life if you're willing to come in humble submission, to put Christ on in baptism, to rise to walk in newness of life. And if you're already a Christian, 
And you've examined yourself with some of the questions that we've asked. Can God trust me? How will I be remembered? If God was just waiting on me uh, to work, would, would He wait? Well, perhaps God has been waiting. Perhaps He's been waiting for you to come back to Him. And He's delayed judgment for just that reason. You know that you need to make your life right with God. You're not alone. It's not one man who stands in the gap, at least not here. It's brothers and sisters in Christ who are standing before you. And we'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. All you have to do is come while together we stand and while we sing. Oh, sweetly rings, oh.